Jesus gave his life for us. Now, we know that Easter's coming up, and first thing we think of when we say Jesus gave his life, we think of the cross. But I want to tell you this morning that he gave his life for us every day that he walked the earth. He put down his own wants, his own needs, and his own desires for his friends and for those who would come to him. And so when we talk about giving our life and being like Jesus, that's the standard that we have to live up to, saints. That's what we're shooting for. Now, if you're like me, you're not there yet. But that's what we're shooting for. Nothing less than that standard that Jesus set. Amen. That's what should be in our heart. That's not part of the sermon. That's just a little extra. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like you to turn to Acts. Chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. I want to tell you that often, often we find ourselves in times of confusion and disarray. We find ourselves along our journey with circumstances, emotions, people, employment, and even spirituality can cause us to wonder, why? And in those times, we often rely on past experiences, or we rely on wise counsel to help us out and get us through. But sometimes it seems as though we just cannot, even with those things, find our way through. As we wade through this maze of life, amen? It becomes difficult to find answers, and we grow weary of trying. Well, I want to tell you this morning that there's only one constant in all of that. And that constant is Christ. He is a rock. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is a God that has been touched by every infirmity that we have been touched by. He has faced every situation that we will ever face in life. And that is the one that we can go to. Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, we see a story here of a lame man. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, verse 3, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Fixing his eyes on them, with John, Peter said, Look at us, look at us. So he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. 
Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. In these desperate times that we sometimes find ourselves in, when there are no answers, when we turn to our friends and their words that would seem to be soothing really don't soothe us, when we turn to our mom or our dad or a past experience that we know we can rely on, it really doesn't help. What then? What do we do? Well, I believe there are three things that can help us along in our journey. I want to talk to you just a little bit this morning. Hope not to keep you long, but I want to talk to you a little bit about finding Christ in the chaos. Finding Christ in the chaos. First thing that God would have us to do is to stick with what you know. You know, very often when we get into situations, we look for answers and we don't find a good answer. So we look somewhere else and we try something new and we try a a new formula and we try this one and we try that one. But how many know that there is a constant that we can stick with? You see, we are addicted to speculation. Will gas prices go up in the summer? What was on the mind of that Sandy Hook shooter? Speculate. What is the significance of Pope Francis? How will health care affect me? How will it affect you? Will an asteroid really hit the earth April 13th, 2029? It's on the internet. It must be true. Why does God allow these things in our life? We speculate in the church too. We speculate about God's will for our life. Come on. What is God's will for the present and the future? What was God's will for some past event? We speculate about God's actions. How did he help? When will he help? Will he help? Some speculate about judgment day. Like the crackpot false teacher that said the world would end last October, yet here we are. Or the Jehovah's Witness sometimes when they predict Christ is coming, a visible Christ. And then when we don't see him, they say, oh, I meant an invisible Christ. We speculate. Saints, there is a constant. There is someone who sticks closer than a brother. In fact, he not only knows the beginning from the end, but he made the end from the beginning. He knew this day would be here. Yes, he did. He knew what you would go through today. But he sent a comforter. There is a comforter that we have that we can call on. When your friends can't help you, when your dad doesn't have the words to help you, there is a friend, there is a comforter. We need to understand that his promise is sure. What do we stick to? 
his promise. Hosea 5, 9 says, among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. In other words, God is not like us. He doesn't babble on about a whole bunch of things that could happen. Gas prices may go up or they may not. I may get laid off from my job or I might not. The interest rates may go up or they may not. That person may talk to me today or they may not. A bunch of speculation. God doesn't do all that. He says, I make known what is sure. And my promises are sure. Romans 4.16, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to the grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. All the seed. Now I don't know about you, but I'm not left out of that seed. And I believe you're part of that seed this morning. And so his promise is made sure to you. We need to stick with what we know. And Jesus is what I know. The principles of this scripture are what I know. I know we try a lot of different things today, especially in the church, because we want to reach people, and I'm all for that, because, listen, methods change, times change, people change. I don't want to step on any toes this morning, but sometimes I just have to say what's on my heart. I have a, a friend that I used to know who was over in St. Louis at the university, and when I worked for IU, we used to discuss some things through email and on the phone, and he went to, uh, uh, I believe it was a church of Christ, and they didn't use instruments in their church, and at that time, I played organ and piano here at the church, and so he used to always get on me, and, and, and one of the things he said is, where did Jesus ever authorize instruments to be played in the New Testament? Where did he authorize that? That was, that was his thing. That was his heavy hitter. That was his one point. And I used to tell him, I said, Ron, you, you probably have a good point. Because I don't see the words where Jesus says, I authorize instruments in the New Testament. But I don't see the words where Jesus says, I authorize you to drive an automobile in the New Testament. How do you get to work, Ron? Come on. Listen, there's a lot of different things. We, methods change. Because we use instruments or because we drive automobiles does not change the word of God. His word is still true. Principles don't change. His word doesn't change. Methods change. A lot of things change. I would hope you change your clothes every day. There's change that needs to take place. But when it comes to compromising the word of God then I would say that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And his word doesn't change. And so we need to stick with what we know. Secondly, in these times, simply we need to continue the journey, saints. We need to continue the journey. Now, these times in this story, we need to understand, and I'm getting back to the story we need to understand the times that they were in during this story that we just read. These were unstable times. You have to understand that these times were a bit tumultuous, if you will. I might even go as far to say they were a little vociferous, to say the least. It is not a time that all the worshipers were in agreement. In fact, 
Orthodox Judaism was in trouble like it had never been in trouble before. It was in trouble during this time. Well, they had been through some things before. I mean, there were rumors of that one guy with the wild uh, locusts and the honey, and he was out in the wilderness. There were some rumors about him, and in fact, I heard it said that he got some people to come out to the wilderness and started baptizing them. There were some rumors about that guy that kind of stirred some things up. But that was okay. We, we got through that. We, we made it through that thing. And then there were some rumors about this other guy, that, the boy, the, the carpenter's son, that lived in Nazareth. And he started making a fuss because there were rumors about some people who were blind and their eyes were open. There were some, some rumors that uh, some people got delivered from demons and that he had people come out to the desert with him that had no food and he fed them. There were some rumors about these things. But we got through that. And because there was no e-blast and email and satellite and CNN and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, Outergram and all these other grams, we didn't have those things. And so we were able to quelch some of this. But what really got him was when this carpenter's son stopped by Bethany and one of his friends was in a tomb and he called him forth. You see, all the other things that happened, they were able to dispel them as rumors. Maybe it happened, maybe it did you really see that happen? But this one they weren't able to dispel because he was there at the feast. Lazarus was able to testify that I am he who was dead and is now alive forevermore. So now all of a sudden they couldn't dispel that rumor and they got together. This is when they said, listen, we got to get rid of this guy. We got to get rid of him. We have to get rid of him. Why? Because he's really stirring some things up. That's when the orthodox movement of religious people had had enough. Decided to get rid of Jesus. We got to stop him. He'll tear up the synagogue. Got to stop him. He's preaching a message that suggests that people can get to God without going through us, the Pharisees. That they can get to God without, they don't have to bring uh, lambs and doves and goats. And they don't have to sacrifice and bring wave offerings and meal offerings. Where does that leave us? If they don't bring them and offer up oblations before the Lord, where does that leave us? Our significance is now diminished. And let me tell you something. Anytime your presence diminishes someone else's significance, you've just made a secret enemy. Come on, that's good enough to take with you today. Anytime your presence diminishes someone else's significance, uh, you've just made a secret enemy. Don't be fooled by their smile. Don't be fooled by their words. But you've just made an enemy. And so they made a commitment to get rid of him. I mean, he had 5,000 people out in the desert. 5,000 is too many. That's just too many. Because now we're not getting the tithes and the offerings. Hmm. No lambs, no bullocks, no goats. No, they're out following this guy. Where does that leave us? 
Do you know that he had the audacity to say that he is the son of God? Did you hear that? And he said that he can forgive sin. Oh, we've got to get rid of him. And so for survival's sake, a decision was made by the high priest of the rabbinical council of the synagogue. Said, listen, we are going to do something. And he gave his consent to the crucifixion of Jesus for the survival of Orthodox Judaism. In other words, in his mind, for the survival of many, we're going to sacrifice this one man. He didn't know what he was saying, did he? Didn't know how true he was. He was looking at it one way and God had it set up from the beginning a whole nother way. We got to get rid of him. And they could do that. There's a, there's a problem, though, that with this. Because he gave his consent, they went out and they crucified Jesus, and the 5,000 were not there at the cross. So, listen, mission accomplished. We're starting to dispel them. They weren't there at the cross. The 5,000 weren't there. And then we put his body in a tomb, and we put a, a rock up against the tomb. And so now... I believe we got this thing squelched. I think we've got it down. The only, the only problem with this is early Sunday morning. Uh, early Sunday morning. Something, I can't really explain to you what happened. But early Sunday morning, they found the tomb empty. The body that was put there to squelch all of this mutiny was gone. And now there are rumors that he's risen from the dead. Oh, boy, now what are we going to do? And by the way, let me give you just, uh, can I give you just a little pre-Easter nugget? The Bible says early Sunday morning, you know, the Jewish day ended at night. It ended at sundown and the next day began. And so, like today, this day would end as soon as nightfall came. And Monday morning would begin as soon as nightfall came. It, they didn't wait till midnight as we do. So early Sunday morning could have been any time from nightfall, Saturday night. They didn't wait until after midnight. Could have been any time, saints. That's just a little side nugget. A little pre-Easter nugget. But that was the problem. That was the problem, is that early Sunday morning he rose up. And listen, he was seen with two others on the road to Emmaus. In fact, it was said that he ate with them. And he came back. And it was even said that he showed himself for 40 days with many infallible proofs. Even Doubting Thomas believed because he thrust his hand into his side. Now the one of them that we had that was not believing is now believing. Whew. What are we going to do? All of this is coming up again. They thought that they had squashed this whole thing. But now all of a sudden this mutiny is starting to stir up and it's starting to rise up again. Now what are we going to do? You know how it is when you think you have something squashed and all of a sudden it starts rising up again. Now what are we going to do? 
Then there was that incident 50 days after the crucifixion where there was talk of all the disciples in a room up on the upper floor. And we heard a sound, sound like an earthquake, and the room was shaken. They were up there praying, and the room began to shake. And we heard a ruckus, and people gathered around and began to listen. And they said, wait a minute, I'm from this province, and I hear someone up there talking in my language. Some said they were drunk, but others said, no, 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 it's too early in the morning for that. This is what the prophet Joel spoke about when he said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is what he was talking about. This is the last days. And now a revolution has started in Samaria. A revolution has started in Judea. Revolution has started in the othermost parts of the earth. People are waking up and, and they're walking down the street and they're praising God in different languages. This thing is getting out of control. I thought we had this thing squashed. What will we do? Now we have chaos. There is chaos. Because before we had this one that we could kill. But now he's risen. We have chaos. Now, that was one group of people. Let me put those aside for a moment. Let's look at the second group of people. That group of people held that view. But there's another group of people that were with him for those three and a half years. These group of people, they saw him when he came walking on the water. They were there when he spoke to the ten lepers and told them to go show themselves to the priests. Though they were on the, the other side of the street and he didn't even use his hands, he just spoke a word and they were healed. His word was so powerful that they were healed by him speaking a word to them. They were there. He didn't even lay hands on them. It's a man that got his boy healed. Even Jairus just sent his word. Even the centurion. There was even a man that was delivered from seven demons. They were there. They had seen the power of God. They had seen the miracles. They had seen the touch from God. But they had seen it sort of from the back row because God was using Jesus to do all of these things. Was using Jesus. This same Jesus, they nailed to the cross. This same Jesus had risen from the dead and is now at the right hand of the Father. And this is the first time since the crucifixion that there's an opportunity for a miracle to take place. The first time. But Jesus, the Jesus they knew, isn't present. He's not here. And they wondered in their mind, will it work for us like it worked for Jesus? Have you ever wondered in your mind, will it work for me like it worked for the other person? Wondering, will it work for me? 
Can I get through this situation like she got through this situation? Can I make it? Can I go through my valley like I saw him go through a valley? Can I do it? So you see, when Peter and John came to the temple, it's not like you coming to church this morning. No, no. You came to church this morning with a a room full of people that agree with you. They went to the temple and they're coming into a service where their theology is not accepted, not appreciated, and in fact, it's not welcome. That's where they're going. And they're coming into the temple not knowing whether God will use them like he used Jesus. First miracle since the resurrection. Their power had not yet been proven. Now, if they were coming into a room full of people that agreed with them, at least they, they would have people that had their back. They would have some friends that they could rely on. But sooner or later, saints, you are going to have to stand by yourself and say, I believe. I believe no matter what someone else says. People tell you, and I, I, we said it on Wednesday, that you've got to have faith. But I want to tell you, I believe you've got to have tenacious faith. Amen. Come on. I, gotta, I believe that you've got to have don't give up faith. You've got to have radical, ridiculous, downright stubborn faith sometimes. That's the only way you're going to make it through a valley. You have to have ridiculous faith. You have to have that kind of faith that will stand by itself. And say, I still believe. You can try to take my job away. But guess what? I still believe. You can try to attack me with sickness. But I believe. You can attempt to take away my family. But I still believe. You can attack my finances. Guess what? I still believe. You can take away the thing that's most precious to me. But I still believe. Still believe. No matter what, you can laugh at me, you can talk about me, you can make jokes about me, but I still believe that he who began a good work in me is faithful to provide for me physically and emotionally. Not only is he able, but he will do it. He wants to do it. He will do it. I believe it. Is there anybody left in the church that believes in the power of God? Hallelujah. Give him a shout this morning. Come on. You got to have a stubborn faith. You've got to believe it. Come on. I know you're a little sleepy this morning, but hunt your neighbor and tell him, I got stubborn faith. Tell him, I got stubborn faith. You don't have to believe it. I still believe it. You don't have to believe it. I, I believe it. Through times when I'm attacked with sickness, I believe it. Children strung out on drugs, I believe it. I made some mistakes and found myself in debt, I believe it. I believe it in a jail cell. I believe it in a boardroom. I believe it in the marketplace. I believe it at the funeral home. I believe it Sunday morning in church. I believe it in a crisis center. Because if God be for me, who can be against me? I believe it. I believe it. Stick with what you know. 
continue the journey. And number three, fight the right battles. Now, I want you to hear me on this one. Fight the right battles. The battle you see may not be the battle you're supposed to fight. So these disciples are moving to the temple, expecting a fight. Oh, they're expecting a fight. They know, they know good and well what time it is. They know what the deal is. They're, they're expecting a fight. But they're expecting to fight the religious mindset that is waiting on them at the temple. They're not ready for a man on the side of the road. But as is the case with much of life, it is not the destination that's the most important thing. It is the things that happen along the way. That's why every moment should be precious to us saints. Every moment, every relationship. I don't want to get too far off, but you, you got somebody in your life that you know you should be reconciled to, reconcile to them. And yeah, talking to myself. <laughs> Come on, make the phone call. Because this time God has given us is precious. And there's a purpose for it. You're not here for nothing. Be ready for the interruptions of God as you're going towards your destination, as you're going towards your doctorate degree, as you're going toward those things that you want to accomplish, as you're preparing for retirement, whatever it is that you want to accomplish in life. Remember the interruptions of God along the way because those things are the most important. It is the things that happen along the way. You're busy trying to get to a particular destination. Saying, when I get there, I'm going to be blessed. Oh, I just can't wait till I get there. Boy, it's going to be a great day. Have a great blessing when I get there. This is going to happen. That is going to happen. But it's not about the destination. God shows up along the way in the little things. And along the way to the temple, there was this little man. On the side. Let's look at the third viewpoint. We've looked at two groups of people. Let's look at this from another person's viewpoint. Now there was a man. He was different from the first two viewpoints. You see the first group of people came to defend their circumstances from the tyranny of this mutiny. And losing their significance from this new theology. They wanted to defend their viewpoint. Then the second group comes to establish a truth that they believe will convert Orthodox Judaism into the contemporary understanding of who Christ is. It was the second viewpoint. This man didn't have either viewpoint. He wasn't thinking about either of those viewpoints. <laughs> he came because he's broke. He came to the temple because he's broke busted and disgusted that's why he came because he's crippled he came because he's destitute he came because any crippled person will tell you that the saints and the religious people are apt to be the most benevolent more so than other people that's why he came it makes them feel good that's what he'll tell you. 
The begging was good over there. This man had developed a a structure or a methodology around his dysfunction. He does not come, saints, to the temple to get healed. Come on. He didn't mention anything about healing. He came to get over. That's why he came. That's why he came. He's not like the woman with the issue of blood who said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. I will be made. He didn't even ask to be healed. He got up out of the bed that morning, got some friends to get him dressed, and they carried him over to where the begging was good. And he took the cup out of his pocket and he began to go into his daily routine and he cried out, alms, 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 alms. Now what I want you to see here, really, if you step back and look at this whole situation, I want you to see the kind of calamitous explosion that takes place when these three groups of people come to the same place at the same time, each expecting something different. Yet, in the middle of the chaos, God is orchestrating something. He's orchestrating the affairs of it all because it ain't nothing but a setup from the very beginning. In the middle of all of this chaos, three totally different groups of people with three separate viewpoints come together. And we would say, boy, this is a mess. But guess what? God set it up from the beginning. God had the thing already set up. Boy, this is... When I saw this, it just moved me. I said, Lord, you are amazing. Oh, boy, I really, I, I really wish I could preach this like I feel it, but it was, it was just dropped into my spirit a couple days ago. I have, haven't had time to set with it. Maybe next time. I really wish I could get this out like I feel it. This man had been lame from his mother's womb. He's obviously a grown man at this point. So he's had a lifetime of dysfunction. And God allowed it to be so because he allowed it to be so. He allowed it to go on for years. But even with that, God was setting the stage for a miracle. And I want to make a note of that. Maybe there's somebody here who's had a long-standing problem. But I want to tell you something this morning. Just because there's been a problem for a long time doesn't mean that it's going to stay for a long time. Sometimes God will put your trouble on display and let everybody else see your trouble and be convinced of your trouble so that when he delivers you, there is no doubt to the authenticity of who did it. There is no doubt as to who delivered you and to who healed you. Oh, yeah. Come on, saints. Help me preach this this morning. We're almost done. Touch your neighbor say, it doesn't matter how long you've been in it. God is still a deliverer. Doesn't matter. Come on now. Doesn't matter how many nights you've cried. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how long you've been down. 
Doesn't matter that you may not have what you need at this moment. Say nothing but a setup for the supernatural touch of God. God is setting you up. Setting you up this morning. I know. It may seem dark. It may seem like you can't get out of it. But today I think I'm just going to nudge somebody and tell them, look, it's a setup. If they don't believe me, I'll find somebody else. Tell them, it's a setup. It's a setup. Everything you've endured... What's going on in your body? What's going on in your house? What's going on in your marriage? What's going on at your job? Ain't nothing but a setup. I don't know who I might be preaching to this morning. I don't know who might be going through something. Who may have had a long-standing problem. Who's in the middle of some chaos and doesn't understand it. I don't know. Who may have some financial trouble this morning may have some relationship problems and don't understand how they're going to get through it. But I'm telling you, it's a setup. Let me see if I can identify my refrains here. My first refrain has already gotten inside the temple. That was those folks who are trying to defend themselves from this anarchy, from this, from this mutiny of this new theology. They've already gotten inside the temple. My third refrain is sitting out here on the side by the gate called Beautiful looking for alms. Wanting somebody to give him a handout. Come on, looking for a little welfare. My second refrain is coming down the road at the ninth hour toward the temple. And when my second refrain gets to the gate, my third refrain lying there at the gate, asks for some help. And the second refrain says, silver and gold, have I none? Silver and gold, have I none? Now, you know if you're going to operate today, saints, you have to know what you have and what you don't have. Silver and gold, have I none? Tell somebody, I may not be what you're expecting, but if you'll give me a chance... I have what you need. I have what you need. That's who we are, saints. I may not look like what you expected to see, but God sent me. I may not sound like what you had in mind when you were looking for an answer, but the Lord is here. They said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee in the name in the name. I haven't even said the name yet, but when I just said in the name, I heard some demons tremble. I, I saw some mountains shaking a little bit just when I said in the name. Come on. Mountains were rumbling. I could feel depression begin to fall back just when you say in the name. When I said in the name, I believe some disease begin to go back. In the name. Because there is a name that is exalted above every name. Come on, that at that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Anybody know the name this morning? Come on, what's his name? Jesus. Jesus. In my storm, Jesus. In the middle of my chaos, Jesus. Jesus is the name that is above every name. It's a name that is above every name. 